You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Lord, there's nothing worth doing if uh, we can do it apart from prayer. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill this place that man's spirit might decrease, but your spirit would increase. And Lord, you have a, a special message, and I just pray that you'd you prepare our hearts to receive it, including my own. And Lord, we just want to say thank you. You're a wonderful Father. I'm overwhelmed, Lord, by your grace. And I just I want to say thank you right now. And so, Lord, please, I just pray your richest blessings upon all who are present in the hearing of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, God bless you guys. Grab a seat. You know, in the... In the olden days, the teacher would get to sit and the students would stand. I'm thinking we need to bring that back. <clears throat> I, uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind. Uh, I was born and raised in Coronado, California. Yeah, amen. I went to Coronado High School. Um, my father was a Navy captain. I don't remember ever praying or reading the Bible in my family. They were conservatives. Um, I was political before I was religious. My mom was president of the Republican Women, so I used to have to walk precincts. I met Ronald Reagan when I was 10. <clears throat> he rubbed my head. Uh, true story. He signed his autograph saying, best wishes, Robert McCoy, Ronald Reagan. What he didn't realize back then was that he was endorsing me today. Yeah. But I, but I was always mindful of, of being involved in community and in politics, which is a dirty word in the church. I don't know why. You see, Aristotle said politics is the highest form of community. It combines morality with sociability. And I've traveled the country, I've spoken to over 15,000 pastors, and they always say, I don't do politics, politics is dirty. And I always say, well, so's a church, what's your point? And then, and then they say, well, I'm tired of voting for the lesser two evils. I go, well, unless Jesus is running for office, you'll always be voting for the lesser two evils. Again, what's your point? Good government happens with good people. How do you, how do you and, I, and I tell them, you're already doing politics. You do politics in your home. You do politics in your church. Why wouldn't you do politics in your community when it says in Timothy to pray for kings and those in authority that we would live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence? And I say, that's a pastoral epistle. And, and we're commanded. And I said, I imagine you're praying for the president, but let me ask you this. Can you name the five school board members, your five city council members in your own community that you pray for by name and the issues they're dealing with that allow the citizens of your community to live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence? And you can hear it pin drop because they don't have a clue. About 50 years ago, we abdicated our, our responsibility in the public square. I want those two words to hit you, public square. Public square. And you say, why? Well, I'm going to use the words of Jesus. He took his disciples from Galilee all the way up to Caesarea Philippi, which is the headwaters of the Jordan. Long hike from Galilee. And these Jewish boys, and if you've ever been to Israel, Caesarea Philippi is a park-like setting. It's beautiful. It's the headwaters. I mean, it's, it's, it's stunning. It's, it's a verdant green. And every culture that's occupied that region has set up a temple to their god or goddess all carved in the cliffs there, and you even see the gates of hell, they call it gates of Hades. Wow. And the Greeks and the Romans and every culture has built a, a temple. 
So he brings his, his Jewish disciples up there, these good Jewish boys, and they're surrounded by a cacophony of pagan noise as they're worshiping Venus and Mars and Aphrodite and Bacchus and all the different gods and goddesses. And he turns to them and he says, who do men say that I am? They're like, we, we weren't expecting a pop quiz, boss. Uh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah. And he interrupts him. He says, yeah, but, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter. I like this guy. He says a thing everyone else is thinking but is afraid to ask. Sometimes he nails it, and other times he just looks like a raging idiot. Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Yeah, I know. You got the wrong word there. I think you said church. I... Well, that's not the word. Never was the word. We've all been duped. We've been played. As a matter of fact, saints of old have been burned at the stake to avoid that word. We've been duped. While we've been doing church, the devil's been doing ecclesia, ecclesia. I'll explain. Jesus said, they told me this would happen. Yeah, I'm ready. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my, he didn't use a religious term. He didn't say synagogue. He didn't say temple. He used a secular term. He co-opted it from the Greek language. He knew what he was doing. He said, ecclesia, read the original language, ecclesia. It is not a religious term. The term combines two words. And the amazing thing is it means, ready? Public square. It means assembly. The Greeks would gather to assemble as a community to better their community. And they sought two things, justice and equality. There's no nation on the face of the earth that has applied the principle of ecclesia better than the United States of America. I'm sorry, but for 244 years, this has been the freest nation on the face of the earth. Now, you've gone to school. You haven't been educated. You've been indoctrinated. You've been told that we are systemically racist. You've been told the 1619 Project. I was probably the last generation to be educated with an understanding of our history. I was a history major. I'll contend with you. And, and you can bring up all that you've been indoctrinated with, but we'll go to the original sources and we'll have some fun together. You see, it was this nation in the 6,000 years of recorded history where every nation on the face of the earth was an oligarchy, the few rule the many. And it was Tyndale who translated the Bible correctly and put assembly. He's the one who said the king will not have authority. And there was the Catholic Church that wanted to say church so they could use that term at Caesarea Philippi to justify that they're the one true church. And they wanted to centralize that authority to create an oligarchy. But this began a long time ago in Exodus. You see, liberty 
is not man's idea, it's God's idea. And here's the fascinating part. In Exodus, three to five million Jews were enslaved in Egypt. They worked all day to benefit someone else and got none of the efforts of their labor. And they cried out to God, who's a God of justice, not social justice. He's just the God of justice. Social justice is where 51% of the people decide what they think is right. That's not justice. That's just mob rule. God is just. His word is just. And he sees the cry of three to five million slaves, and he sends a deliverer, Moses. Moses is 80 years old. When he was young, he was raised in all the wisdom and knowledge of the Egyptians. He was handsome in word and deed. From zero to 40, he had been snatched out of the Nile, and he had been raised in Pharaoh's home, and he was just handsome. I mean, Charlton Heston, that's who it was. That's him. He's just... And then he ends up killing an Egyptian guard, and, and he realizes that his, his picture is going to be in the post office of Egypt. And so he, he bails for the Midian Desert at the age of 40. And from 40 to 80, he becomes, from, from, from zero to 40, he was a somebody. And from 40 to 80, he became a nobody. He was shepherding goats in the Midian Desert. He got to the point where he didn't hear a human voice, that he, he lost his ability to articulate and speak. His face was leathered by the Midian desert sun. And he saw a burning bush. And he's like, (laughs) God speaks to him. He says, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He says to the bush, okay, most powerful ruler on the face of the earth. You're going to take an 80-year-old guy to go tell Pharaoh to, hey, shut it down. He says, can I just ask uh, who it is that I'm supposed to say has sent me? And God says, I am. You got another name? It's odd. I am. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, I am has told me to tell you to let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is God that I should obey him? Not a good question to ask. Because he just opened up a can. Pharaoh won't get the lid on. But Pharaoh exerts his authority. And you know what he does? He doubles the brick output of these slaves and reduces their materials. And and you know what the Jewish people do? The people who have been crying out for freedom, the people who have been crying out to God for liberty, and and pay attention to this. These people who were begging God to be set free, these people who wanted, they wanted their lives back. They don't want to wear the diaper on their face. They wanted their life back. They, they, They didn't want their businesses shut down. They want their life back. They don't want a draconian, tyrannical rule. They want their life back. God, help us. Help us with Governor Mussolini. God, please. And as they cry out to God, God sends a deliverer, and then Pharaoh says, double the brick output and reduce the materials. And the Jewish people, they begin to complain to Moses. Look what you've done. That is mankind. You love liberty and you love freedom. You just don't want to work for it. You want to be taken care of. That's why you're suckers for socialism. They promise you everything and take all you have. A government big enough to give you everything you want is able to take everything you have. But you buy it. Oh, socialism. No, it's Democrat socialism. 
even though it's a violation of two of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, but this isn't real socialism. And by the way, socialism is, Linda, you're getting an A in class because you study and you do your homework and you're up late at night and you're doing everything. And Mike, you don't do squat. You sleep in, you barely even show up at class. You're getting a, an F. But we're gonna, we're gonna take two grades from you and give you two grades and you'll both have a C and we'll be equal. Well, next time, Linda's gonna be, I, I'm not working hard, why bother? I just wanna hand out like Mike got. So productivity decreases and nobody wants to work. They're all waiting for free stuff. Socialism works until you run out of the other person's money. And by the way, you can take the fourth greatest economy in the Western Hemisphere that is rich in natural, res natural resources, Venezuela, give them socialism, and they will be eating their zoo animals like they're doing right now. And you can dress it up and call it Democrat socialism. That's like taking a dog turd and putting sprinkles on it. Time for the pastor to step down. He just... But look, look, you, you don't want freedom. Freedom is having choices. And you only get choices when you exercise liberty. Liberty's different. Liberty is doing what's right. The Apostle Paul wrote, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. He wrote that when he was in prison. He also wrote 2 Corinthians 3 that says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Conversely true, where the Spirit of the Lord isn't, there's not liberty. Your streams of liberty have dried up. All of a sudden, there's things that you used to be able to do that you can't do. And that's what brings me here today. That's where he says, I'm some sort of a trendsetter. I appreciate your kindness, but I'm just an idiot. <laughs> I don't know any better. And I say that in all sincerity because... I was walking precincts and being involved in a constitutional republic long before I was a Christian. I understood the value of government. I was raised with that. My parents, they knew there was a God, but they were more agnostic than anything else. But I understood the value of contending in your community. My dad ran for office. He lost both times. I come to Christ in college. And then I went through a series of events, and I'm, I'm going to share with you in a minute, and I'm, <laughs> it's been a crazy week. I, last Thursday, flew to Dallas with Charlie Kirk. I called the Charlie Kirk crazy train. <laughs> He's 27, just turned. I'm 56. I don't have his energy. He's like an RV, and I'm the trailer. I'm just going where I'm towed. <laughs> tell you what about that young man. He loves the Lord. We started in Dallas. I landed in Dallas, drove to Cisco, and in, in 48 hours, we met four billionaires. I introduced him to two. He introduced me to two. We talked about the Lord in every home we were in, a desire to see this nation saved. Got to Dallas, met another wealthy family, heard them talk of the Lord, and this is what touched me. That was Thursday. I get to Dallas on Monday. We're, we're staying up late. We, we fly over to Miami late that night. We get to Miami where the first speaker's in the morning. 
Charlie's first, I'm second, goes through the whole day. We speak a multiple, multiple times. We're both wiped out. We finish, and then as I'm finishing the last session, I'm, I'm looking at a guy named Roger Stone. You may or may not know him. He's a guy that was arrested by the FBI, worked with uh, Trump, and uh, he's, he's hardcore party dude. I mean, you know, you look at him, he's like, he's wrecked, you know? Hey, hey, let's... <laughs> Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. He's the guy. And he's wandering around, and I'm like, Man, he's lost. He ended up at a pastor's thing. He's like, hey. <laughs> and I'm usually compelled to talk to someone like that because I'm thinking, you're close. I better share the Lord with you because we don't know. Could be today, tomorrow. <laughs> but he, he didn't, the uh, Lord didn't put that on my heart. And I don't know why. So we finish, we go to dinner. I'm serious, I'm so tired. We go to dinner and they say, uh, the speaker tonight is going to be Roger Stone. I'm like, what's he going to say? He gets up and he gives the most compelling testimony of having recently just come to Christ and he attributes it to Charlie Kirk and two other men. I'm like, uh, Charlie's at another table. I'm like, he goes, you know, it, it, it just, well, Charlie, it's no big deal to him. So we finish this thing and I'm like, bedtime. I'm walking through the hotel lobby, going to the elevator, and Charlie goes, Rob, he's with Erica, and they're soon to, I, he's going to announce his engagement soon, but shh. And, and he, he's, he goes, Rob. I'm like, what? He goes, will you come with me? I want to share Christ with a friend of mine. His name's Chris. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Charlie Kirk Crazy Train. I get in the car. We go to Miami Beach. We sit down at this restaurant. As we're driving there, Charlie goes, the guy is one of the most generous men I've ever known. He has a heart as big as Texas. He's the sweetest human being, doesn't know the Lord, burned out in Catholicism, doesn't, doesn't like ministers. And uh, every third word's a cuss word. So, you know, will you take care of that for me? <laughs> well, the impossible done immediately. Let's do this. <laughs> and I just pray and I say, Lord, I have no idea how to reach this guy. I don't know anything about him. And, and I just said, Lord, would you pave the way? I, and, and Charlie doesn't even know how to introduce me because he didn't want to say that I'm his pastor because the guy won't talk to me. And we just pray, and I let it go. We get to the place, walk in. He's, he sees Charlie. He's with his assistant. He sees Charlie. He goes, Charlie, he gives him a hug. He sees Erica. Erica, my love, he gives her a hug. He looks like uh, Jim from Taxi, the guy who was in Back to the Future with a, hey! He says, how you doing? And, and he's, I won't say his last name, but if I did, everyone would know him, and he's very rich, like billion rich thing, like multiple. And I didn't know that at the time. I just knew him as Chris. And he greets Erica. He turns to me. He goes, he grabs my hand. He looks at Charlie. He goes, Charlie, who is this man with the warmest smile I've ever seen? This is telling me we're going to have a very profound conversation. I'm intrigued. Who is this man? And Charlie says, he's my pastor. Dude, we were <laughs> and and we he says, Pastor, he says, there's more to this. He goes, Well, he's and Charlie said this, I didn't. He goes, one of the bravest men I know. He stood in opposition to the governor, he kept his church open when they were told they were non-essential and blah blah blah. We sit down, we start talking, he reads obituaries. I take him to my favorite verse, Ecclesiastes 7:1. And this is the text for this morning. I'll recite it for you. A good name is like a precious fragrance. But better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. 
Solomon wrote that. Wisest man who ever lived. And you think, well, if he's so wise, why did he make something sound so strange? A good name is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. Better is a house of mourning than a house of mirth. What are you talking about, Solomon? It's real simple. He applied a rhetoric term called synesia, where he combined senses of the human body to ruminate your mind to think about a concept that every human being needs to come into contact with. Synesia, he takes hearing and seeing and combines it with a sense of smell. A good name, you hear it, is like a precious fragrance. But better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. So he equates a name with a fragrance. A fragrance is the olfactory sense, sense of smell. And by the way, of all the senses of the human body, smell is the number one sense for memory recollection. That's why women rock with the perfume. You're like, I smell something and I'm thinking of her. What is, <laughs> what is happening? And they're like, um, yes. <laughs> You're like, Where was I? <laughs> but why is a day of a man's death better than David's birth? And I was telling this to Chris. I said, when my boys turned 13, I have two sons. I took them on a walkabout. And I said, in the Jewish tradition, it's called a bar mitzvah, where you become son of the law. And I said, you go from being a, a child to an adult. There's no teens in there. You're now responsible. And you're men. And men provide and they protect. And so part of that walkabout is I had all my, my wife and my daughters. I took the boy out of the house. I said, you're leaving as a child. You're going to come back as a man. Now let's go. Get in the car. I drove them up, each of them, on their birthday. I took them up to a cemetery. I was telling Chris this. He's like, he's just mesmerized because he reads obituaries. And he's getting older, and he's thinking about life. I took him to a cemetery, and I said, okay, son, tell me everything you observe. Um, well, there's nobody here. <laughs> Scripture says, as the flowers of the field are here today and gone tomorrow, so is a man. Yeah. What else do you see? Well, tombstones, all right? What do you see on the tombstones? Well, a name. Well, son... A good name is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. But what do you see below the name? Well, the year of birth and the year of death, right? And what's in between? A dash? That's life. Life is a dash, and you're here for one reason. And I told Chris this. I said, it's called relongare in Latin. In Latin, it means to relink, reconnect with your creator. We translate it as Religion. I said, that's why you're here, Chris. His question was, how do I relink? I shared that with him. <laughs> Charlie went to the restroom, and Chris and Erica are there, and Chris says, I can't wait to go to your effing congregation and effing tell them I'm an effing Christian. <laughs> and I go, I go, Chris, you're welcome. Let's just try to change the adjectives. <laughs> so, oh, right, right, right. 
That's Charlie Kirk. And then I went to North Carolina, flew home, got in late. <laughs> There's so many stories, I don't have time. But suffice it to say, I drove down the next morning to do a thing for Jurgen and, and some of the assembly candidates. Drove back, picked up my wife. Uh, we were having a tragedy at our, home, at our house. I'll, I'll fill you in on that. And then got a couple hours sleep and then came back to Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills to do the event yesterday in the morning. And then we, went, we flew to Hemet, did another event. Then we flew to San Jose, did another event, flew in late last night. We get here and Pastor Jurgen and Samuel, and I, when Pastor Jurgen starts telling the story, I could stay with him all day long. I'm like, oh, you're really good at this. You know, I was mesmerized. And it was late and we were tired and we finally get there and then get up this morning and the person who picks you up, Leanne, you, you heard her speak. She's a classmate of mine. I went to high school with her. And it's hard to believe she, she's actually older than I am. I'm like, you preserve well. Brian, dude, you nailed it, buddy. You nailed it. But looking at you, looking at me, I can tell that she's just as evil as my wife. Everyone says, oh, your wife's so sweet. No, she's evil. She connects tubes to my body, steals my youth, and transfers her fat. I haven't been able to prove it, but I know she does this. You guys don't have a lot of fat between the two of you, so she's obviously not doing that, but the looks, she did kind of take some. I'm just saying, you're a good-looking guy, but... <laughs> All right, where was I? I've now made an enemy. But I was mesmerized by that, and I... I, I of course, when, when you're going to ask me to preach, I haven't, when have I had time to put a message together? And somebody going, yeah, when are we going to do a message? I'm getting there. The point is this, with Ecclesiastes 7.1, as I was driving in and I was thinking about all my classmates, because I didn't walk with the Lord when I was in high school, and I hear Leanne's name. She walks with the Lord. I'm starting to see other classmates come to Christ. Apostle Paul said, or John said, I know no greater joy than see my children walk with God, and, and yet I, I start to see all this, and I... I'm touched. And I, I was hit with this concept, and I know you guys want to talk politics. Honestly, I'm a little tired of it. I love politics. It's my life. But I want to give you the reason why I'm motivated to do politics. Calvary Chapel started in California in 1968. Reagan was governor. Chuck Smith looked out at a sea of humanity of all these young people who had checked out of the church and entered into Eastern religions and drug use, and the shores of California were awash with burned out young people, depressed and wandering. And he and Kay brought in the contemporary music, Maranatha, started this whole Hillsong movement, bunch of music, musicians, syncopated rhythms before, that was like the devil. <clears throat> He begins to teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. They come in droves. Am I getting the hook? Oh, well, when you start playing, I think I have to go. All right, let's pick it up. Yeah. Anyways, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you feel bad. And, and so Chuck realizes that in 68, you know, Kennedy had been shot in 63. Reverend King was shot in 68 on a balcony on a motel in Memphis, Tennessee. Bobby Kennedy was shot in 68 here in Los Angeles. And we had the Tet Offensive and the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam. My dad had three tours. Leanne's dad served in the Marine Corps as an F-4 pilot. They were pretty, 
they were pretty messed up by that war. They all came back, and the nation was, in 68, it was just like it was in 2020. Marxism was infiltrating. The country was divided. We had riots. And Chuck looks out, and he says, you know, I'm not going to do politics. I'm just going to teach the Bible. So he begins to give us a systematic study of the scriptures, and I, I learned the entirety of the Bible from Chuck Smith, 66 books of the Bible. I've taught through it multiple times. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And as a result, Chuck avoided politics but preached the gospel, and Calvary Chapel since 68 have had 10,000% growth. There's over 1,800 Calvary Chapels around the world. Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie, Calvary Chapel. Somebody Loves You Crusades with Raul Reese, Calvary Chapel. At, at one point, three of the 10 largest churches in America were Calvary Chapels. South of Van Nuys, coming down here to San Diego, 350 Calvary Chapels. It's a Calvary Chapel sandbox. But we don't do politics. And in 1968 in California, Reagan governor, we had the fifth largest GDP. It was a state of the future. I was born here in 64. My dad was born here. My grandfather was born here. I love this state. And we've been doing this with Calvary Chapel for 52 years, 10,000% growth, watching people come to Christ, respond to the Lord, transformation of their lives, but we don't do politics and we've stayed out of the ecclesia. So what's been the result? Let's see the power of the gospel in California. We no longer, and by the way, in 68, you couldn't, you couldn't kill a baby in California. That's why I'm still alive. But here we are in 2020. We've been preaching the gospel, but we haven't been in the ecclesia. We've been in the church, but not the ecclesia. And now we're no longer the fifth largest GDP. We're the sixth, almost seventh. We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We lead the nation in debt. You combine the next four largest states, it doesn't equal the debt of California. We lead the nation in poverty and in homelessness. We have the worst roads, worst schools. We're the authors of no-fault divorce that Reagan signed into law in 70 that decimated marriage across the country. Transgender bathroom bills. But here's a kicker, two of them. We have just approved the most secularly progressive sexual education curriculum in the world that's so vile I can't even read it to you. And we've aborted more children in California since 1973 than the entire population of Canada. Where's the power of your gospel? You've been doing church while the devil's been doing ecclesia. But we don't do politics. You've been duped. But not in this church. Because this church is ecclesia. And Jurgen, Pastor Jurgen, gets it. And Mike and Lisa get that. And so I stepped into the public square, the ecclesia started to do this. I was holding office. I was the mayor of the city. I was mayor pro tem on November 7th, 2018. 11.20 at night, we just had a contentious election that Tuesday. That was Wednesday I preached, I'd had very little sleep. And that night, I go to bed, and about 11.30, there's a knock on my sliding glass door. I open it up, it's my daughter. She says, Dad, there's been a shooting at the borderline, Country Western Dance Hall. She says, some of our congregants are there. Gunmen went in, killed 12 of our young people. 
One officer was killed, 11, gun people, or 11 young people were killed. He then took his life, so 13 deaths. Two of them were members of my congregation. One was a decorated Marine who took care of our special needs kids. He went in to go save those folks that killed him. Officer Helis was my friend. I had done a ride along with him. I was a sheriff's chaplain. He died. I love my city. I officiated those memorial services. I was there with every one of the elected officials who are now coming after me in this whole ordeal. I had worked hard to be elected to that office. They said a pastor shouldn't be in politics. But I'll tell you what, during that crisis, after the shooting, when I went home after the vigil, I went home to my house and I was evacuated because the fires began to burn and encircled our city. It was a day from hell. We survived that. I was up 50 hours straight asking the Lord to fill me. And the entire community was grateful to have a minister. I had a chance to share the Lord with every single one of these elected officials in many capacities. And now we get to April 3rd of this year, Saturday night. We're getting ready for our Holy Week, Palm Sunday to Easter. The sacrament of communion in our Holy Week. And we have this pandemic. We didn't know the severity of it. Although at the time I did. And the governor says, cannabis distributors are essential. Liquor stores are essential. Abortion clinics are essential. But the church, it's not essential. And he closes us. Even if we follow CDC standards, a sanctuary that holds 400, we did 10 seats. It took three and a half hours to do communion. Our sacrament, protected by the First Amendment, he said no. That's not gonna happen. Well, I decided April 3rd it was gonna happen. And then it got out on the news. We didn't send a press release, they found out. Went all over the country and I realized that my colleagues who I serve on the council with, who I adore, I knew that they'd have to censure me and they'd still have to be censuring me. I said, I, I resign. I worked hard for that seat, got reelected to it. And I'd be up for election right now and I know I'd win overwhelmingly. And I resigned. And April 4th, we did communion. The press came out. They were, gonna, they were gonna prove that we're killing everybody. And to their credit, the press said, it was the cleanest place in all of Ventura for any essential place. They, they were cleaner in Costco. And they were amazed at, at the meticulous nature of the way we approached it. But we were making a statement that the church is essential. And then when the governor embraced the BLM Inc. riots in Los Angeles, where our sheriffs went down and many were injured, and he praised them as they were walking shoulder to shoulder without masks and no social distancing, and they burned and looted businesses, 75% of which were Jewish owned. I said, I know now because we did over 180 live stream episodes educating our congregation with no less than 10 doctors, two psychologists. I knew all of the issues of this virus. I knew the comorbidities, 65 and older. And I said, this is no longer an issue of health. This is political. We're done. May 31st, we opened wide, no social distancing, no masks, and we're done with it. And then um, as we're wide open, 
three of the five supervisors, and I know all of the ones, especially the three, and it was totally partisan, they decided to come after me. And they got a, an, a, an attorney and they got a judge that was political and predictable. And in August, they, they were able to secure an emergency temporary restraining order to shut our building. And they named me and a thousand does. I don't know where they're gonna find that many deer, but they, they <laughs> no, a thousand does, they said either visitors or congregants, they're gonna be cited and fined. And my wife and I looked at each other and we counted the cost and the kids and I sat with the elders and congregation and the staff and we all decided we're doing it. And, and I knew I was gonna lose my house, my, my car you know, would be keyed, I knew we'd get an IRS audit. I've already been down this road, I've been followed. I, you, know, you go out to your car and your windshield, there's a note that says, good luck starting your car. It's like, I, I've seen the enemy and he's in, yeah, it just, I, I'm getting tired of his issues. And my wife and I said, anything given to God first will never be lost. You can take everything we have, but liberty is so precious to me for my kids and my grandkids. Take it, I don't care. I'm not putting up with this. And, and we, we, we violated that restraining order, but here's the cool thing. I showed up at church that morning. No less than four churches have dri had driven hours north to surround our building so that our congregation could worship in peace and they'd take the citation. That's the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. And I'll conclude with this. When Pastor Jurgen showed up, I was so moved by his enthusiasm. When I heard his story about East Germany and his family and his love for liberty and the things that he's endured, and I, I was blown away by this man. And God blessed me with a friend that I will forever be grateful for through all of this. And they, they said our church would shrink and decline. It's exploded. I have a gift of preaching a church down to a manageable size. And the church is responsible for setting the captives free. We're not responsible for complying with the government that is tyrannical. And the idea of a good name is like a precious fragrance. I want to say this to you real quick. I haven't had time to mourn on this one. My, uh, my oldest daughter, before I was asked to preach here that, that morning when I drove and I met with Jurgen, at seven o'clock that morning, she had delivered our, our grandson, stillborn. His name's Theodore Elkin. Theodore means gift of God, given to God. My daughter delivered his earth suit. He was a short-term visitor. He's home with the Lord. I saw his little body. My son-in-law, he's black. He has more melanin than I do. My daughter's so white, she's translucent. <laughs> and, and all my three grandkids, they're my caramel cherubs. <laughs> little Theodore, his little feet and his hands. 
You see, the thing that moved Chris to the Lord at the dinner that night is he said, I'm pro-choice. He goes, why would you, how can you defend that? And I said, Chris, you're at the, you're at the sink and you're washing dishes and your little child comes up behind you and says, Daddy, can I kill this? What's the first question you're gonna ask, Chris? What is it? That's the question, Chris. What is it? It can't be anything else but a human being. It's too small, it's level of development, it's environments, it's degree dependency. I can go through all that and defend it. I said, Chris, it's a baby. God is the author of life. Before you were born, I knew you. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. This entire journey in this Charlie Kirk crazy train, privileged to encourage Linda in a run for office. This nightmare's gotta end. And anyone who says that that little fella wasn't a human being, what's wrong with you? How can you be so numb to the beauty of what God fashions. And how can the church be silent that we would put up a black tile for BLM Inc. when they're supported by Planned Parenthood and 13% of the population of America is black. You cut it in half, six and a half percent male, female, reduce it to childbearing years. 4% of the black population is responsible for 40% of the abortions. It's a Holocaust on the black community. You, you, don't, you don't care about black lives, especially if you're in bed with Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. I care about black lives. My little, my little Theodore, he's precious to me. My heart breaks. And now we have a chance to stop the Holocaust. And where are those churches in standing for this next Supreme Court justice that'll override Roe v. Wade so that these babies can live? Where's the church? The church is practicing church, but it's time for us to be the ecclesia. We are the public square, and you are an amazing congregation. Light it up. God bless you all, and may the Lord fill you with his spirit in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.